who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. This episode contains mature content that may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Realm presents Tales Beyond Time, episode 29. Hello, fellow travelers. This is Tales Beyond Time, presented by Realm. I'm your host, Marco Palmieri, here to take you on another journey into the extraordinary. This week, we have a nuanced and delightfully unusual tale from rising horror author Zin E. Rocklin, who has contributed stories to two Bram Stoker Award-nominated anthologies. Zin's When a Kaiju Falls in Love was originally published in the Outland Entertainment anthology Kaiju Rising 2, Reign of Monsters, and is narrated for Realm by Kaylor Lee. And I don't think it's going out on a limb to say it's probably not what you're expecting. In a time of civil unrest, a teenage girl's neighborhood kaiju could change everything. Gentle listeners, please enjoy When a Kaiju Falls in Love. Black Lives Matter! Say her name. Black Lives Matter. Say their name. Gertie snorted and shifted her weight from one swollen foot to the other, while arching her back to pop that sweet spot just above her dimples. The position was getting harder to keep the older she got. But this window was her newscast night after night, the program running for the last 63 years. She'd watched this neighborhood be built up by black and brown hands, only for it to be systemically dismantled by invisible pale ones. Still, they tried, including her parents, and later on, her. But nothing changed. Nothing, until more than a few bad loans gutted out the souls of some pre-war brownstones, leaving them vulnerable to the claws of predatory real estate and new money. A few people held on tight, those lucky enough to breed generations of money knowledge, of legacy wealth, no matter how little it may have been. But the neighborhood was changing yet again, turning over a whiter shade of pale and victimhood. More of that pale in the form of soft-handed fists stabbed the air. Black Lives Matter! Say his name! What's the matter, Grammy? Mad you can't be down there? Nettie asked from her perch in the next window over. She'd been a little smarter, having dragged a chair to the spot. Her view was slightly obstructed by the lip of the windowsill, but at least her back didn't ache. Gertie rolled her eyes at her granddaughter's familiar tone, though the corner of her mouth upticked a bit. You should be marching for all of us, she shot back, just as sarcastic. Please, our lives don't matter enough for them to stop taking over the goddamn place. Gertie's daughter interjected as she shuffled into the living room. 
Angela plopped onto the couch and groaned as she pulled off her heels. What'd I tell you about that mouth of yours, Angie? Gertie grumbled. And I told you, I get it from my mama, mama. So how about that? All three women chuckled and sighed, shifting in mirroring ways. Silence briefly chilled the room as Angela let her head fall back against the couch cushions. What's for dinner? Nettie asked as her eyes trailed the last of the pathetically drawn crowd. All 15 white people rounded the corner half a block down, police escorts lazily flowing behind. Whatever your grandmother made, Angela mumbled sleepily. Leftovers, Gertie said. She'd have to stand in a moment, and the prospect made her tired. Ah, Grammy, Nettie whined playfully. She stood up in the chair and twisted her back this way and that, mimicking her grandmother like she had since she was a child, while also releasing the anger that clenched her belly. Shut your ass up, little girl, and eat what's heated up for you. Gertie groaned as she straightened up. Oh, good Lord, heal this fucking back. Immediately, Nettie launched into a censored version of the rap ballad, twerking her waist and popping her chest. She get it from her mama. Being the only one to get the reference, Angela busted out laughing, now wide awake with hunger and love. Gertie shook her head, shuffling from the room with a grin she hid from her daughter and granddaughter as the nerves of the night ahead tickled her chest. Howard walked in just in time for the table to be set, while Nettie's twin brother Hannibal miraculously managed to avoid contributing anything but his after-practice body odor, sending Angela into a frenzy. Go wash up, ruining my damn appetite. In retaliation, Hannibal swept his mother up into a bear hug, briefly lifting her from the ground to set her right back down when her scream hit fever pitch. Damn, ma, neighbor's gonna call the cops. Angela sucked her teeth and fidgeted with the oven. Please, this building ain't that white yet. They waited until Hannibal exited the shower before dishing the food, and by the time they sat down to eat, Hannibal was joining them along with his cell phone. Uh-uh, put that damn thing away, Angela muttered in between bites of baked chicken. I was just checking for funeral arrangements, Hannibal explained though he did darken the screen and plant the device face down towards the middle of the table. Nettie shifted, her eyes on her plate as the middle prongs of her fork toyed with her food. You okay, Natilda? Howard asked, his deep voice softened by genuine concern. Nettie winced at her full name being spoken. Her nickname eased the sting a bit, but she still hated the old sound of either of the monikers she was given. Yes, Daddy she said, her eyes not meeting his. She knew the moment she did look at her father, her resolve would crumble. Did y'all know her well? Gertie asked. Nettie automatically sighed, her fears being realized, although she was sure both of her responses hadn't helped the possibility of avoiding the subject. Nah, Hannibal answered for her. She dropped out like a year ago when she got pregnant. Nettie lifted a shoulder. I had a class with her in sixth grade. She paused, pushing her green beans to one side of the plate. She was a bitch. Nettie, Natilda Denise Anderson. Whoop. Natilda, you don't speak ill of the dead, baby, Gertie said with a sigh. And you damn sure don't talk like that at the dinner table, Angela added. I'm sorry, but she was, Nettie whined. I'm not saying she deserved to die or anything. Especially like that, Hannibal said, shaking his head. Hmph, 32 bullets, three alone to the dome, like she was some kind of beast. Stillness rushed the room as everyone nervously scraped at their plates, eyes glued to food that now tasted like cardboard. The butterflies Nettie had been fostering were now taking full flight, obliterating the appetite for the courtesy bites she'd been taking. They're going to find him, Daddy, she said, her voice smaller than her 16 years. It's only a matter of time. Forks clattered against Corningware, and several sighs went off as Nettie kept her gaze down. Another regret of the night. She should have waited until she and Howard were alone, 
but she'd been worried about this for some months now. Ever since that white couple bought the old trap house three blocks over on Harrison, right in the middle of a territory battle. Everyone and everything paused then. The gravity of gentrification weaving its way into the bloody fabric of the city's most notorious neighborhood. It was like watching a white dude jog his baby through the center of a gunfight, not one bullet touching him or his towhead progeny. AirPods blocking out the screams and shots. Finish your plate, Howard said, his tone not much changed from the last time he spoke. I have something for you to deliver. Nettie wasn't allowed to go anywhere near her father's study until the kitchen and dining room were spotless. So she and her brother decided on a best of Aretha Franklin and set to work. It was easy enough. Nothing like a Sunday dinner cleanup, but Angela had let them slip the last couple nights by allowing them to do the minimum. Now, sweeping, scrubbing countertops, the table and the stove, and a wipeout of the oven were required. It hadn't been lost on either of them that Angela was also delaying the inevitable. Everyone was on edge. And it had begun long before the murder of 17-year-old Estelle Dubois at the hands of their city's finest. Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Sandra Bland, Khalif Browder, Akai Gurley. The hashtags and the bodies attached to them were no strangers to their city. They held their own protests, ran their own programs, built their own safe houses against gun violence, gang initiations, and drug addiction all funded from their own pockets. But none of it mattered to outside optics. The housing collapse meant most programs collapsed too. Employment was on the rise, but it was too late for their homes. The entire city was ready to explode. And explode it could, had they just given the word. But that would have been selfish. Would have called for wielding an indiscriminate power none of them could handle nor recover from. It was best to hold on as best they could without losing their minds. And so, deliveries like the one Howard was about to give his daughter were necessary. She'd been doing runs like this ever since she was a child, usually at Howard's side, and then since last year, alone. The family hadn't been too happy about it, but Nettie insisted she was protected, and not just by the neighborhood itself. He knows when I'm coming. Nettie'd said dreamily after one of Angela's tisk-filled scoldings. And everyone else knows where I'm going, so nobody messes with me. She'd tried to hide it, that wistfulness. But it'd been hard, especially after spending hours at the rocky shore with him. Howard blinked at his daughter, not quite grasping the situation. He'd discussed it later that morning with Angela, and she popped a laugh in response. At least she won't walk up in this house pregnant. They both stopped and looked at one another, faces contorting as they tried to imagine the impossible. Never say some shit like that again, Howard said, shaking his head. Yeah, I'm kind of mad at myself for that one, Angela agreed. Daddy, you got a package? Nettie said from the door, snapping Howard from the reverie. Yes, baby girl, come in, he said, straightening his posture as the study door slid open. Nettie slipped inside as if sneaking in, her curvy body slithering through an opening wide enough for her alone. She slid the door shut behind her, careful of the squealing wheels and loud catch awaiting connection. She'd been doing this since she was a little girl, when she couldn't sleep and wanted to assist her father's projects. He worked as a data processing manager of the telecommunications giant that, at one point, had over half the neighborhood employed. By the grace of his ever-adaptability, Howard survived six major layoff seasons over the last 10 years, but even he knew he was running on borrowed time. Isn't it too early? Nettie asked excitedly. It seemed she hardly cared for the answer, but was trying not to be so eager to get out and be on her way to visit her paramour? It was such a strange thought, but it was clear his daughter was in puppy love. Obviously, she'd grow out of it as soon as she realized the extent of their relationship could only go so far. She was still young. The practicality of a partnership had yet to befall her as a challenge. Until then, until college and a career, he'd allow this, whatever it was. He'd keep Angela at bay and allow his baby girl some happiness, wherever she could find it. Especially on a night like tonight. Nah, it's not. 
he finally said as she sat down in her favorite seat. The rocking chair where her mother had nursed both her and Hannibal until they all fell asleep. Nettie never wanted to be too far from her father from the time she was born. Angela swore it was even before that. She blamed him for having to be put on bed rest. Nettie wouldn't stand for Angela going to work and being away from her father's scent. Howard thought the both of them ridiculous, but secretly adored the idea of both his girls being close always. With the neighborhood upset, Sister Ulan thought we should head off any issues by being proactive. Keep him distracted, Nettie said. Howard smirked. Yeah. Nettie shrugged. What am I bringing? More parts. Our boy likes puzzles. Nettie grinned. Yeah, he does. Howard tilted his head as his daughter gazed at nothing, her eyes glossy and her smile serene. What do y'all do when you're there, Nettie? Nettie's head snapped up then, her body going rigid as she stared wide-eyed at her father. Um. I mean, do y'all talk? Do y'all, wait, how can y'all talk? Her smile was small, accidental, but warm. Well, remember how I was obsessed with radio waves, sonar responses, shit like that? Howard narrowed his eyes and Nettie shrugged. Sorry, but yeah, I mean, we started out with Morse code. Gramps would be proud. Another shy smile. The stained mahogany of her skin flushing red. I hope so. Well, yeah, so one night I was tinkering around and came up with a device that combines, and this is where Howard lost his daughter. Antiquated communications had been the foundation to his career, but with quickly advancing technology, he was bound to forget the details and nuances of the old. Zoning out unnecessary information had become his specialty since becoming a father. And that's that, Nettie announced proudly. A twinge of guilt made Howard wince. She was obviously sure her efforts would make him proud, and proud he was, but heaven forbid she ask him for advice. Well, damn, Nettie, he said, hoping he sounded as honored as he actually was. Then y'all will have a field day with this old junk. They're cleaning out Gibson's place. Nettie shifted, and Howard struggled to move on for a moment. Jedediah Gibson had been a relic on their block, the example of refusing to be strong-armed out of his brownstone. But they'd all known one day he'd be gone, and having no living relatives, the house would be sold out of their hands. Howard cleared his throat. You know he was in the Korean War? Nettie smiled softly. Yeah, Dad. We talked about it sometimes. Howard nodded. Of course they did. Nettie had a knack for getting along with even the most cantankerous of elders. They adored her, or at the very least, grunted a little softer at her when she passed by with her friends. Well, did he show you this? As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers? I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. Nettie tried not to run. She really did. But two factors kept her pace just above cool, calm, collected. The equipment she carried and her destination. She waved off a few friends, dodged more hugs, and cut off several starts to long conversations she couldn't pretend to be interested in. That was until Snow spotted her. Hey, girl, where are you rushing to? He called from his perch against the six-month-old BMW. He was due for an upgrade in about another two. The nickname wasn't from his alleged occupation, but a joke at birth about his partial albinism, which turned into affection as he grew older. Nettie rolled her eyes and kept her pace, but turned and said, You know where I'm going, don't play dumb. Several of his boys, their friends, cracked up laughing exaggerating the impact of her comeback. Nettie snorted and shook her head. Her mission renewed as she sidestepped a small group of Snow's employees. They all nodded her way, and she nodded back with a small smile, throwing the youngest of the set a wink. Damn, Tilly, you in a rush? Snow said, suddenly appearing at her side. Snow was one of the few people to call her Tilly, a slight upgrade from the Tilda he used to throw her way back in seventh grade. When he realized just why she was ignoring him, Tilly was born. You and your light-skinned tendencies, Nettie snapped back. Always gotta know where I'm going, all up in my face. She palmed her own face, twisting her neck. Chill out, Drake, and let me live. All right, you got jokes tonight, Snow said, keeping pace. It was easy, being six foot four against her five foot nine stride. Where your twin at? In his skin, Nettie said with a snort. What do you want, Snow? She stopped walking so suddenly, Snow progressed another six feet before realizing. When he turned to her, her pointer finger was an inch from his eye. You better not be talking to him about pushing shit, you hear me? Snow put up his hands in mock surrender. Nah, nah, nothing like that, Ma. Just wanted to confirm if y'all going to the protest. That's it. She narrowed her gaze at him deciding whether she should scold him again for calling her Ma. She hated that term, until he had been their compromise for it. But it was clear she was making him nervous, so she backed off. Yeah, we'll be there, she said softly, turning on her heel and resuming her walk towards the bay. Snow fell in step beside her. He liked to think he was keeping her safe this way. Even sometimes had her call him if she felt nervous walking back. She rarely did. You see that whack-ass Chad and Becky march earlier? Snow busted out laughing. <laughs> yeah, we all did. Whack as fuck, man. They always gotta take over. Don't never think about talking to us first. Cause they don't actually think about us? Nettie mumbled back. True. They walked another three blocks in comfortable silence, each of them briefly greeting associates along the way. Half a block from the abandoned lot that would take Nettie to her meeting place, Snow slowed down, nervously eyeing the shoreline. Nettie smirked as she turned to him. You scared? Shut up, Tilly, Snow grumbled, still not looking at her. That motherfucker eyed me kind of hard last time. You were kind of rowdy last time, Nettie said, fidgeting as they stood. His hearing is sensitive. She really wanted to sprint the last thousand feet to the rocky shoreline, though it wouldn't be necessary. He wasn't there yet. Look, I know you can't stand it when I get all up in your face, but call me when y'all are done, no matter what time, Snow said quickly, his eyes darting everywhere around them. These white people are making me nervous. Nettie nodded, not having the heart to even joke about his justified paranoia. They were going to have to discuss this wave of change, all of them, including him. Relocation was going to be nearly impossible but something was gonna have to be figured out before he was by the wrong people. 
All right, I will, she said. Snow smirked at her. Do you even have your phone? Nettie patted her pockets, then the small tote bag at her side. A faint glow lit up one corner of the canvas, and Snow chortled. Yeah, I got it. Surprise with your old ass. That shit a flip? Fuck you, Snow, Nettie said through a chuckle of her own. I'd stay up, Tilly, he said, sobering again, and beginning his walk backwards. I'ma watch you till he gets here. Behind them, the rustle of a wave larger than most disturbed the darkness. Nettie smirked. I'll see you later, Snow. Snow nodded his acknowledgement, his pale cheeks rosying before he turned away, practically jogging back towards home. They were called communicators. Each family had one, and the responsibility skipped from block to block within the three-mile radius with each new generation. No one really knew how far back it had gone, but it was a duty most willingly accepted. Hannibal was supposed to be the next, but while introductions had been tossed around at a safe distance from the shore, little Natilda had waddled her way towards the funny-looking mound, making all those bubbles in the water. And look at this, Nettie exclaimed excitedly as she pulled out another long male-to-male cord, thickly braided with bungee line. I haven't seen this in years. The night sky was crystal clear. City lights polluted the darkness, but the gutted factories surrounding them provided enough privacy and enough cover to dim the amber radiance of his gaze. Most of his body stayed below waterline, only the rough surface of his elongated head, the serpentine eyes, and the gaping abyss of his nostrils graced the air. Nettie guessed him to be lying on his belly at that point, not unlike his evolutionary cousins with short arms, keeping him in place. The freighter truck-sized talons on his toes would be dug deep into the bedrock under the city, his tail stretching like an incomplete bridge to the mainland they were just outside of, about six miles away. He was small for his kind, and still young. The elders predicted he'd hit puberty in another 10 years, and a growth spurt with it. The bay wouldn't be able to hold him then. The hope was he'd transform then, lay eggs and leave, like his kind do. They'd take care of feeding and caring for the next hatchling, more than likely just the one of three eggs to survive, much like he himself. It wasn't known what happened to them when they left, whether they met up or if they just swam out into the vast ocean until the darkest trench claimed them. It was fun, to a point, to speculate, but no one ever investigated. They just did what they had to and moved on. Nothing like this had ever happened before. The threat of occupiers who didn't know, who didn't care to know. The new world that held no beliefs in anything but themselves and their moment. A human falling in love with one of them. And most certainly not the sentiments being returned. I've got some good parts for the thing I built. We should come up with a name for it, Nettie mumbled as she picked through. She avoided looking at him. Had been since sitting down after her initial greeting of a small headbutt to his massive philtrum. A burst of thick, wet air hit her like a foghorn, and she fell back, her crossed legs flailing as she clawed at rocks for purchase. The fuck, Wani? I just washed my hair three days ago. You know how hard it is to get Grammy to braid my shit, and here you go, fucking it up with your hot-ass breath. She continued mumbling as she wrung out the frizzing strands of natural hair. Ignoring the scraping of her voice against his sensitive ears, he snorted again, this time completely soaking her from head to foot in viscous fluids. Her kaiju had snot rocketed on her. Nettie squealed, stomping her frustration and disgust from foot to foot in a jittery dance. Fucking gross, Wani! He raised up, threatening to do it again until she glared at him pointing a finger. Don't you fucking dare. His second lid blinked wetly at her as he settled back into the water. He eased backwards, giving her room as she continued to eye him. He then nodded, sending harder waves to the shore, lapping them at her sneakered feet. She softened. I can't swim with you tonight. It's too cold. He snorted within the water, creating bubbles before lifting and spraying enough to rinse her jeans. She squealed again, 
shivers settling in next. Keep it up, and I'll have to head home early. He stopped then, pulling back further and settling deeper in the water until only the very tops of his eyes could be seen. Oh, God, Grammy's gonna kill me, she groaned, swiping at her box braids. It wasn't as bad as she thought, but bad enough that she'd have to rinse her hair, more than likely drying it out. Fuck it, I'll say I needed a trim. Take it all down and have Katora do it for me. She knew he wasn't really listening at this point, but she needed to keep talking about idle things, tiny things that hardly mattered. Not when it felt like her entire city was threatening to explode. He neared her again, soft and silent, until his short snout was brushing rocks aside to nudge her. The nudge was just short of a punch to her middle, and she collapsed onto him, arms spread for an awkward hug. The roughness of his skin never bothered her. She often found it fascinating. The scales that sometimes harbored barnacles and plankton, and even rarer, whole fish. The neighborhood's changing, Wani, she mumbled against him. She was getting colder the longer she embraced his snout. All these white people are moving in, not the kind that help, the kind that yell that they do, but still colonize, the kind who are scared. She sighed and shivered. When does the self-fulfilling prophecy stop and inevitability begin? Ma'am, ma'am, are you okay? Are you hurt? The flash of an LED light startled the both of them, and Nettie drew away. Her next instinct to fan herself out in front of him hardly effectual, but she did it anyway. His massive head still flanked her, and the low growl emanating around her body solidified the spotlight. Oh my God, what is that? Oh my God! The scream that followed came from neither of them, but sent them both scattering for their respective habitats. Humph, white people don't know how to blend in nowhere. They always gotta take over. Then got the nerve to be mad when shit gets as bland as they are. Nettie and Gertie were standing in front of the new chic restaurant, the one that boasted fake bullet holes and a 40-ounce bottle of cheap champagne served in a paper bag for an exorbitant amount of money. The soft opening resulted in terrible reviews of the food and overall atmosphere. Still, people flocked. At least the newer residents did. Those of the old neighborhood curled their lips in disgust and enacted weekly protests. Girl, where is your head at? Nettie started, her whole body jolting as she turned around, frantically looking for her grandmother, who had been at her side seconds ago. She spotted her a good 50 feet away, already at the corner. Sorry, Grammy. She hurried towards her, the light changing in their favor. What's wrong with you? Gertie asked softly. Been acting real strange all morning. And I saw that blizzard boy in front of the house late last night. He better not have been dropping you off. Nettie smirked. His name is Snow, Grammy, and he was just making sure I was safe. Why? Something happened? Nettie's face fell as they walked into the dollar store. She could feel new eyes on her, questioning eyes. Or it may have been her fresh paranoia. Did it? I noticed your hair is a damn mess. I ain't tugging at them naps for you, girl, Gertie warned. Nah, Katora said I needed a trim anyway, so I'ma go over by her later. Gertie stopped short, narrowing her gaze at Nettie. Natilda Denise, you better tell me what happened last night, and you better not lie to me again, acting like I ain't combed through not even a week ago to feel the men smoother than warm butter. Nettie immediately began to fidget, her eyes stinging and throat tightening. I, I think I fucked up, Grammy, she said through a strained breath. Gertie suppressed the urge to cup her granddaughter's chubby cheek, her stance hardening. Tell me. They saw us, she sputtered. Last night, he was out of the water, head kind of high, and they saw. They who? Nettie's shoulders fell, but she held back the smart-ass response. Them, Grammy. Ayo, Tilly, Tilly! Both women turned to see Katora rushing towards them, her nephew on her wide hip, dark skin flushed. Mad cops is down by the bay. Somebody said they looking for your boy. 
Some white lady lost her fucking mind talking about some big-ass alligator or some shit. Y'all might need to step back for a while. Katora took a breath, then said, Hey, Miss Gertrude, how you doing? Hmph. Now I ain't so damn sure how I'm doing, Gertie said. They say anything else? They looking for anybody? Katora shook her head. Not that I heard, just an alligator. Okay, thank you, young lady. Y'all okay? How your sister doing? Katora shook her head, her chin dimpling for a moment. Within the neck, she shook it off and straightened her back. She aight. They treating her okay. Good, good. You writing her? It gets lonely in there. Don't forget to write her. I am, Miss Gertrude. Promise. Okay, good. Be on now and tell your mother to stop by some damn time. She owe me her auntie's pound cake recipe. Katora giggled. <laughs> yes, ma'am. It wasn't until after Katora left that Nettie took a shaky breath. Oh, shit, Grammy. Calm down, girl. You ain't do a damn thing wrong, Gertie said. It was bound to happen. Now, come on. We need to talk to your father, see what we got to do. Lay low. That was it. It was all they could do. They couldn't draw attention to themselves or to the bay. The bay that was dragged for 12 hours the first day and patrolled since then. No communication. So Howard had Nettie strategically disassemble the communication device, ensuring no transmission could occur, but allowing her fast reassembly when the coast was clear. So stay low. Nettie visited once, maybe twice a week normally. But something about being forbidden from him, especially at such a crucial time, it was excruciating. On the third day, they were to attend the funeral of Estelle Dubois, the procession of which would double as an official Black Lives Matter march. Permits were approved with hours left, but the neighborhood was ready. While Nettie's assessment at the dinner table had been uncouth, it wasn't entirely inaccurate. Estelle had a fresh mouth with a sharp tongue and loose eyeballs to top it off. She rubbed plenty the wrong way, but none of that truly mattered. The neighborhood let her be, and she kept mostly to herself and her core family which had expanded to her baby girl in recent months. She was mostly quiet when she wasn't bothered. Some speculated more was going on with her, maybe depression or some other mental illness. But in the end, none of it mattered. It started with an accusation and ended with an immediate execution. She wore the cloak of societal guilt before even opening her smart-ass mouth that day in Manny's bodega on the corner of Cambridge and Vine. Her skin and now her daughter would be raised without her mother, in a fog of grief she herself would never quite understand. Ayo, you sure you all right? Hannibal asked as he stepped into his sister's room. Nettie jumped within her skin, but nodded immediately. Nervous? Hannibal poked. Again, Nettie nodded, her top teeth worrying her bottom lip. She, Gertie, and Howard kept the situation amongst themselves. Though neither were as close as Nettie, Gertie and Howard knew Angela and Hannibal would never quite understand the bond between a communicator and their kaiju. Go ahead, she whispered. She cleared her throat, smoothed her hands over her black skinny jeans. Before running out of the door, she would slip on a black hoodie with the Black Lives Matter logo on the front, Estelle's hashtag name on the back. Her brother would mirror her in dress as well just like the projected hundreds of protesters who were to join them. I'll be right down. Her voice was a bit stronger, although it still shook. Hannibal stared at her a moment longer, expression open and searching. They had the bond most twins did, but lately they'd been growing apart. Neither questioned it when they undoubtedly had each other's backs. Still, Hannibal worried for his little sister by four minutes. I, he said. Don't take too long. Ma's already being extra. Nettie rolled her eyes and Hannibal snorted a laugh. I'm sure. Just tell her I have my period or some shit. Hannibal scrunched up his face. Way too much info. Goodbye, Hannibal, Nettie insisted. Hannibal waved her off and skipped down the hallway, the front door to the apartment slamming closed behind him. Nettie wanted to go after him, but she stood in front of her window 
an arm wrapped around her middle as she tried to will her dread away. But it had taken root in the center of her chest, constricting her breathing, setting her face ablaze. She sat down on her bed and tucked her legs up, hugging her knees to her chin. It's okay, it'll blow over in a few days. People will move on if they haven't already, she chanted to herself, much like she had for the last three days. The dread only grew. Fuck it. She stood up in one swift movement, her toe knocking into something as she rummaged through her closet for her black leather Timberlands. Frowning, she knelt down and pulled out the hunk of metal. Her radio. The very first one she'd created to talk to him, her Wani, before she understood that he heard her, always. He'd indulged her, though, allowed her to communicate this way, so he could respond in kind. They barely needed devices now since she saw him so often, used to see him so often. The once or twice a week were the official times. There had been others, like after school and winter, since the sun set so early, or during the summer when curfews were lax and her friends knew she was safe. She saw her Wani as often as she could. So this was torture. Relief and panic flooded her at once as she scrambled to her desk. The muscle memory fell into place as she reconnected the wiring and adjusted the headset. One message, that's all. Just to let him know she was okay, that this would be over soon, and she'd be back. She turned the dial and was immediately assaulted by what most would mistake as whale songs. He'd been crying for her this whole time, waiting, not understanding what had happened. Her eyes stung as she listened. She couldn't decipher most of it, but the lilt of those notes tore at her. Okay, okay, real quick, let me just. But her bravado failed her for a moment, and she popped a sob. He'd missed her, much like she'd missed him. And so, placing her fingers on the straight key, she began tapping out her message. What took you so long? Angela snapped as she watched her daughter skip down the stoop. I thought I got my period, Nettie said, smiling hard. Angela eyed her daughter suspiciously. While the condition would explain her mood shift for the last few days, it sure as hell wouldn't explain that moony expression on her face now. If she was late, that was a problem. If she wasn't, Nettie was prone to whining, baby-like behavior, usually up under everyone and seeking pity. While the pity was well-deserved, Nettie tended to push the boundary of decency when explaining her plight. And she loved explaining her plight. Stop it, Mom, fine, Nettie said with a giggle. She even planted a kiss on Angela's cheek, setting off more alarms. Promise. Angela decided to let it go, considering what the day itself would entail. She was going to allow her daughter whatever bit of happiness she could find. And keep an eye on her while she was at it. You okay, Grammy? Hell no, girl, this back is killing me, Gertie said, placing a hand on her lower back to emphasize. The cane wasn't doing shit to relieve the pressure, but her granddaughter slipping an arm around hers helped a little more than a little bit. I'm gonna head back, start on dinner. You sure? You want me to walk with you? But Gertie was already shaking her head. It was a beautiful service, but I can't do no protest. Shout loud and proud for me, girl. Nettie beamed down at her grandmother. Will do. Gertie hugged her granddaughter a little tighter and longer than usual. A little longer. Nettie tensed at first, but then allowed it, planting a large smack of a kiss to her smooth cheek. They let go and Gertie started off without another word. When she was almost out of range, Nettie shouted, make something good, old lady. By the time Gertie turned around to cuss her little insolent ass out, Nettie had been swallowed up by the crowd of black on black. That dread had returned, this time a bit different, but it was just as heavy, just as breathtaking. Nettie had fucked up. She wasn't sure how yet, but she felt in her chest that last transmission was pushing what little luck she had left. But still she marched. She hollered for Estelle, for those she didn't know, for herself, for her future. 
She raised her fist in the darkening sky, and she yelled along with her neighbors who were desperate for change. Desperate for the chance to be human, to be seen as such, to be treated as such within their lifetime. She cried for the present. At the end of the route, the crowds dispersed into huddles of planning. Sign-up sheets were going around for volunteering and for the next round of protests. The vibe was electrified, emotional, yet filled with hope. Nettie smiled, until she saw snow running straight for her, his pale face flushed with exertion, and stained. The closer he got, the more she recognized the dark smears as soot. They'd heard sirens nearly an hour ago, but they kept going, pushing forward. Nettie wished she'd gone back. She wished she'd walked with Gertie, had insisted to stay with her. Maybe make her lie down and make her a snack. Start on dinner, watch television, anything. She should have been there. Hey, yo, Tilly, they raided y'all's building, Snow said breathlessly. His eyes flicked about him as he watched his crew inform others of the news. Murmurs came alive as the crowd started to close in. Wait, what? She screeched, calling attention to a few others surrounding them. In the next moment, Hannibal was at her side with Angela and Howard, hustling towards them. The cops! They had some bogus warrant, wanted to search the place for a radio or some shit, he said, sounding much more collected. So there was some kind of suspicious transmission. Grammy, Nettie rushed. What about Grammy? They burned the building, Tilly, Snow explained, hoping he didn't have to say the words. They fucked up, tear gassed the fuck out of the spot, and one of them hit Prissy's heater. Priscilla, their downstairs neighbor who was always cold. The whole shit is gone, Tilly, the whole block burning. Young man, explain this to me, Howard said, stepping forward and grabbing the front of Snow's hoodie in a clenched fist. Where? is Gertrude. Snow grit his jaw, letting himself be humiliated as he said, she's gone, Mr. Anderson. She ain't make it out. Nobody did. Howard's fist loosened in time for him to catch his wife as she fell, unconscious. Next to Nettie, Hannibal clenched his fists. You saying everything is gone? Hannibal pressed, shifting from one foot to the other. Snow nodded, his body language mirroring Hannibal's. I don't know about y'all, but I'm about tired of this shit. The crowd quieted as they turned to see Elder Ulan hobbled towards them, adorned in all white. The only two who didn't were Nettie and Howard, the latter of whom was still clinging to Angela. We can't even go to the corner store without being accused, tried, and executed for some shit. Now Gertie's paying the same price? Yulin snorted and shook her thin head. A 78-year-old woman they probably ain't even see. Fuck em. Her blue-ringed eyes flickered over to Nettie. Call him. Nettie's jaw loosened, her tongue lolling for a protestation that wouldn't come. Be aight. We know these parts. They don't. We've been rebuilding since Tulsa and Rosewood. We can do it again. Call him. It's time we used our own executioner. Without another word, Nettie stepped off, breaking into a full-on run towards the bay. They were more than communicators. They were caretakers. They were creators, lovers, families, friends. They were a people unto their own, a people forced to make do with what could be taken. They were protectors. They were keepers. And tonight, they would be destroyers. Natilda ran as fast as her legs could carry her, her lungs on fire as the cool air snatched at reserves, hardly having time to replenish her. She felt the neighborhood at her back, heard snow calling for folks, smelled the smoke, the char of burnt flesh, of lost hope, of dead generations. Or it may have just been her imagination. Her guilt threatened to singe the back of her throat as tears blurred her vision. Yet still, she pushed. She ran until her Tim's crunched glass 
kicked rocks, slapped at the awaiting shore. Only then did she stop, hands on knees, mouth gaping, sucking at the air for a steady breath that her sobs wouldn't let her claim. In all her years, never once had she cried like this. Never had she lost like this. But as the waters ran towards her, engulfing her boots, climbing up the darkness of her jeans until she was waist deep in the adjusting shoreline, she realized just how much she was set to gain. The low growl hit deep within her belly, and she held a hand there, the smile slow and sad. They killed Grammy, she whispered. The water shifted again, a soft whine piercing the air loud enough to make Nettie's neck twitch as she winced. The whine eased into an open throat groan, oddly melodic, filled with pain. Nettie felt her knees give way, and she collapsed into the shallow pool, head submerged, body colliding into a rough patch of scales, barnacles, shells, and the ever-so-rare whole fish. A catfish this time. As Nettie felt the chill of the night air against her skin once more, she rescued it, pulling it from the clutches of Wani's skin and tossing it below. Below became farther and farther away, as Nettie belly crawled to the edge of Wani's snout. Four stories, seven, ten. She held on to the curve of his nostril, her nails digging deep, her grip secure. Her Wani had grown since the summer, since they'd last gone night swimming together. Even then, he hadn't stood tall like now. 15, 22, 27. Still they climbed, as if in slow motion, the air singing around her as wind hit his scales and other detritus. She was reminded of her father's job, the one before last, the one with the view of the world from its windows. She'd felt on top of it all then, had gaped at how tiny the people and all their problems had become. She thought of her Wani. Is this what he thought of them? Insignificant in their fickle struggles? Inconsequential to anything outside of their moments? 33, 34. Their ascent slowed. A moment later, Nettie could hear the distant rhythmic thud of a helicopter. No? Several helicopters coming their way. The music of her lullabies as a child. The big bad monsters coming to tear apart another home. Except this time, Nettie was the monster. Wani was the monster. And they were ready to tear it all down. Wani stiffened and popped one short squawk. Immediately, Nettie scrambled backwards, carefully gripping his skin before scraping forward until she was set against the top of his skull. Her hands were cut up and bleeding, making her hold slippery. But she tried her damnedest to hold on as Wani stepped forward, one arm swiping at the clouds above them and colliding with two of the three helicopters. There were no explosions like the movies, just the ear-scraping sound of crunched metal, the stink of exhaust and gasoline, the faint cries of four men falling to the dark waters below. Wani swung around, his other arm smacking the last of the first fleet into the watery oblivion. Wani stepped forward for the first time since he'd hatched and swam to shore. Since the first time he'd met Nettie. Nettie liked to think he'd fallen for the city much like he'd fallen for her. But she knew that couldn't be true. Their tradition revolved around his secrecy. What kind of life was one lived in the shadows, alone and without the warmth of family? of your own kind. Nothing could have prepared her for the movement. Nettie crouched as Wani stepped again, his left foot grinding the empty buildings that had shielded him into dust. Sure, she had ridden on his head during those forbidden swims, deep under the night sky. But they'd just crest the surface as she held on, cackling with glee as he glided along. This was unsteady and unpredictable as his weight shifted compensated for the deliberate destruction of a neighborhood that had held her people captive for generations. A neighborhood they'd turned into a home. A neighborhood being stolen from them, brownstone by brownstone, 
block by block. And now they were taking it back, if only by leaving rubble in their wake. Wani was careful, concentrating on makeshift blockades, kicking objects with lights flashing so bright the slit of his pupils tightened into a blade of black. He let out another squawk, and Nettie lay flat, face down into the sea smell of his flesh, as he swooped down, laying waste to Manny's bodega, Estelle's apartment building, and three of Snow's cars. Everyone who mattered were well on their way by then, carrying only what they had in their hands, much like their pilgrimage generations before them. They would settle. They would be fine, just as Elder Ulin said. Wani just made sure they were never truly forgotten. The city's artillery was no match for Wani's evolution. His hide ate the impact of AR-15s, brushed off cannon-projected tear gas and flashbangs. He ignored it all, did what he was taught with care, with consideration, though they deserved none. By the time emergency state marshals moved in, Wani was heading back to shore, his back to the destruction. It was then they struck, hitting him square between the shoulders with a missile meant for buildings. It hit him like a punch, and he dove forward, shocking both himself and Nettie. Nettie felt his surface give way, her arms and legs flailing for purchase, her breath stolen. Wani wailed after her, his eyes widened in panic as his maw opened wide. Nettie wanted to protest, wanted to give him a sharp no, but choice was stolen from her as she headed straight for the abyss of Wani's throat. The thick blackness closed around her, and still she fell, the stench of rotted fish and aged salt making her gag. She landed with a thud against the spiked roughness of his tongue. The sea of buds grasped at her, bulbs the size of the lampposts in her neighborhood, swaying and splitting as she slid further and further into darkness. Finally, she grabbed at a fatter bud, her body swinging round it as her momentum continued. She was lathered in spit, but she had no time to be disgusted. The sounds of the sea crashed around her, small buckets of it splashing towards her, washing over her. Pressure began to build in her head, her ears muffling too fast for any bit of swallowing to make a difference. A sharp pain jabbed both of them, and she could hear again, the agony nearly unbearable. She screamed, and the world halted, if only for a second, the pressure in her head easing. A mournful whimper vibrated around her, and she nestled deeper into the buds, taking hold of the root of the one she clutched. There, she felt warm, comforted, held. Nettie passed out. When she awoke, there were people standing above her, smiles on their painted faces and long spears in their fists. One extended a hand, the other, a bowl of water. Nettie took both, and then promptly passed out again. The next time she opened her eyes, she was lying in a hammock, swaying gently with the evening breeze. It was warm wherever she was, tropical, if she dared assume. By the look of the bay, she was not wrong. Blue-green waters, slate-gray plateaus overgrown with moss-like forests, and massive raptor-like birds cawing as they flew overhead, and one massive ape sitting patiently amongst it all, watching her, waiting. Next to it, her wani, and behind him, his kind, two of them, smaller, but still his. They all watched her. They all waited. In the coming days, Nettie would find her strength through the meals provided first by the tribe, then hunted by her. They communicated in rudimentary ways, all giving way to her leadership, her wani. She came to know the names of the others. Gojira, Manila, Kong. They would come to know her, respect her, listen to her. Because a war was set to come. And this time, they were staying. Stories help us to cope with pain, to articulate rage, to fight helplessness, to shine a spotlight on harm. They use symbols and metaphors, 
that when those symbols are as bold as a giant rampaging monster that imprints on a black teenage girl, they stay with us. Ready for more sharp social commentary? Check out Spider King, in which a wrongly incarcerated black man makes a very dangerous bargain to earn his freedom. Or maybe try If I Go Missing, The Witches Did It, starring Gabourey Sidibe, and find out what happens when a black writer goes missing and a white podcast host with a savior complex takes up the cause of finding her. You can find both shows right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, whatever dimension you're in, safe travels. You're listening to Tales Beyond Time, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. Tales Beyond Time, Episode 29, features When a Kaiju Falls in Love. Written by Zin E. Rocklin. It is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Marco Palmieri. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw and executive produced by Molly Barton. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and performed by Keeler Lee. Audio produced by Tidef Studios. Additional editing by Nicholas Papaleo. Cover art by Kindle Thomas. 